It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. So many great calls, so many great questions coming up from all of you. 404-872-0750. And Pike Nursery going to be along at the bottom of the hour to talk to us about summer shade plants. So that's going to be a good conversation. Have a pen and paper handy, maybe. They may give you some good plant ideas and suggestions. Um, And talking with Tom from Alpharetta just a little bit ago about brown rot on peaches. It appears as a mold. It's furry. It's it's bluish silver. Um, Something that I had thought about, Tom, captan, C-A-P-T-A-N, captan is a fungicide uh, made by Bonide. And I'm looking at the label directions, and you really need to follow the label directions, and and it breaks it down for every fruit that you're treating, um, peaches included. So read that. Make sure you can use it up to pre-harvest. That may do the trick as well. But like I said, also check with your county extension agent just to make sure we get you on the right spray regimen. All right. As I said, great calls. And I certainly want to know a little bit more about Mike calling from Douglasville and what's going on with his boxwoods. Good morning, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. So what's going on? What are you seeing? Well, I've got uh, some boxwoods across the front of the house. They're probably five and six feet tall, probably 20 years old, but I've got three brown spots in one of them about the size of a basketball. It's like they're just dying in spots. I don't know if that's something I just need to cut out or something I can spray on them or what. Now, what's been done in the last few years, research internationally, really, um, and throughout the United States and the Northeast and stuff, boxwood blight was really a thing, pretty hot and heavy topic there for a while. Um, Boxwood blight is going to be just really dramatic leaf drop and then quickly the decline of the boxwood it can't do much without the leaves on it so that could be um is that kind of the first symptom is you're getting these brown spots on the leaves and then they fall off yeah well yeah one of them's been brown for i don't know a few months and then i've just noticed in the last couple of weeks two more spots in a different area that's coming up on them you know and and under the warm and kind of humid conditions we're experiencing now that can certainly accelerate it um, because it is a disease that does well, you know, in, in moist conditions. So bring a leaf or two or maybe cut out a, a, an affected stem and let someone at Pike Nursery see it or let the county extension uh, agent see it to make sure that is diagnosed right. Because there are other things that could look like boxwood blight. Um, but with, like you said, gaps and holes the sizes of basketballs, that sounds like it's working pretty quickly to me. Um, and it is hard to control with fungicides. It's just it happens so quickly, it's hard to get ahead of it. So I want to make sure the problem's diagnosed correctly first because maybe there is a chance that that's not what it is and you can effectively use a fungicide or something like that. And have you looked for any insects? My only other thought would be uh, maybe like, you know, something sucking the sap from underneath the leaves and you're actually seeing the brown bugs, but that's probably not the case, is it? No, not really. haven't seen anything like that. Okay, okay. That's where I'm going to go, Mike. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, And I haven't gotten any calls in the year and a half I've been doing the show about boxwood blight. And like I said, some of these things go in cycles. You know, they're hot and heavy for a few years. And then for whatever reason, we're kind of starting to manage it a little more correctly and and the calls slow down. So uh, you could be on to something there. But yeah, take take some leaves and an affected stem or two to a local nursery or the county extension agent and make sure that that's what we're talking about. And if that's the case, it may be time to just pull them up and maybe think about putting something else in. 
Okay. Well, that sounds good. I appreciate your help. You're so welcome. I hope I'm not right. Um, but but if that is the case, there's just not a lot that can be done to slow it down. Um, and it's just impossible to tell which disease, you know, it, it is just by looking alone. So there may be some further research that the county extension agent wants to do or kind of running things through a lab or whatever. And if this is going to kind of get fired back up, uh, this boxwood blight, that may not be good for the rest of us. So thank you so much. All right, next we're going to go to line four and talk to Ted in Covington. He's been patiently waiting this morning. Welcome to the show, Ted. Hey there. Hey there. Enjoy your program. Thank you. This is my first experience growing tomatoes in five-gallon buckets. Yeah. And I, I keep up with rainfall, but my question is, how, how much water would you suggest uh, a week? You know, a half a gallon to a five-gallon bucket or anyway, I, I don't really know. Well, so if you've got them in five-gallon buckets, the first thing I want to ask you is you did drill drainage holes in the bottom, right? That's key. Yes, four. Yes. Okay, very good, very good. And, because... and down from the top, about a third of the way down from the top, I drilled four holes. Okay. Good, good. So it's not retaining too much moisture. Um, typically for vegetable gardens and even for lawns too, I mean, this is kind of a broad statement here for you, Ted, but um, an inch a week. And I know that's hard to gauge, but if you have a rain gauge nearby and you're kind of able to monitor rainfall, obviously we've had over an inch this week, but in those dry spells, an inch a week is what you have to do. And when you're watering too, this is going to help your routine a little bit more soaking waterings at the base of the plant rather than just one little watering can blew the soil's wet that's enough and walk away that's not that's not the best watering practices we want so really like a all at one time an inch a week kind of knocking it out in one day per week a heavy drench rather than a little bit of water each day is probably going to be best and i don't know where you've got those buckets positioned but for tomatoes especially too watering at the base of the plant and not overhead watering that way the leaves aren't staying wet you know we're not trying to introduce disease and all that kind of stuff so that's what's going to make it happiest and and too ted like you know don't overthink it too much if there is a lot of rain in the week then i think you're fine and luckily for us, tomato plants with all their leaves will kind of start to show you, you know, a little bit of wilt when they're in need of water um, or even like they're leaning a little bit. You know, they're leaning more towards the sun. That's kind of an indication. OK, we're starting to dry out. We're starting to be a little stressed, leaning toward the heat, leaning in a certain direction. And that may be an indication to you, too, is when it's time to water. Oh, great. Yeah, and also there's this fantastic product um, that I talked about, I think, on the Mother's Day show, and I'm going to do that again in a couple of weeks, gift ideas for dad, but Grow Bucket. Grow Bucket is something that's made right here in the Atlanta, Georgia area, and I'm friends of a friend of, of the guy who invented it. But the Grow Bucket is kind of like a little thing designed for five-gallon bucket uh, plantings, and it's actually some neat uh, tools and things that you use and they complement the five-gallon bucket, and there's also a reservoir and all that kind of thing involved that it actually takes the guesswork out of watering and kind of keeps it a little more consistent and, you know, keeps everything uh, consistently watered for you and things like that. So that, too, may be something to try. You know, some sometimes over the years we're just not having any luck. We're watering too much or too little and don't have success. That kind of takes the guesswork out of it, too. So grow bucket might be something for you, too. Just a neat little nifty thing to try. 
Okay, and when I when I made the comment, great. That was very informative about the plant leaning. Mm-hmm. That that really helped. And one very very quick comment. Sure. Uh, last week and this week too, you have suggested to a couple of callers about uh, Dutch clover, white clover. Yeah. And if I may comment on it, uh, one great thing about clover is you don't have to fertilize it. Right. <laughs> You're very right. It provides so many nutrients to the soil, and it really does does well for soil if ever you have to tear it out and put something else in. I mean, whatever goes in next is super, super lucky because of all of the benefits that clover provides to the soil, not to mention, you know, bees and all those things, too. So I'm I'm glad. I'm glad you've had good success with that, too. And it's pretty. I mean, it's not, not hard to look at, you know? Right, and you don't have to... Uh... What, what, what am I trying to say? You don't have to worry about mowing it as often. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the little white, you know, flowers that pop up when I was a kid, I used to try to pick those flowers and tie them together, make a necklace and all that kind of thing. But yes, low growing ground cover doesn't require fertilization. I love it. If, if you know, people are pulling their hair out and spending way too much money trying to maintain a turf and a lawn, that may be another suggestion. So good, Ted, thank you. And anytime you hear something like that and you agree or disagree or have something supplemental, please, I, I welcome you to call. Okay, like I say, enjoy your program. Thank you. You have a great day. Always good to talk to you, Ted, and the folks out in Covington. All um, right, not uh-oh. too far. We've got Dexter calling from Conyers now. Hey there, Dexter. Good morning. How you doing this morning? Very good. Better now that I'm talking to you, sir. What's going on? Hey, I had some trees removed out of my yard, and I brought some fresh field dirt in to build up that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's more conducive for fescue-type grass. So I was wondering, uh, since it's not the planning time frame for fescue, what can I put on it until September come, where I won't have just this big dust bowl? Just something to kind of hold the uh, hold the soil in place and all that, because you brought that in, right? Yes, ma'am. Uh, let me think about that. Because um, I would say, you know, a lot of people, fescue obviously does really, really well in shady areas, and it grows better on uneven land and things like that. So if, if that's, you know, what you know you're up against, then fescue is probably the right choice. Um, it's funny when people have warm season turf, like centipede and like Bermuda and things like that. Some people do that whole ryegrass thing so that they at least have some green grass year round. You know, when the Bermuda goes dormant, there's like a ryegrass that they winter with and they still have something green. Um, but with fescue, obviously, it's, it's green most of the year. It gets a little stressed in the summertime. I don't know. I'm honestly going to tell you, Dexter, I don't know. And I want uh, some of you landscapers, some of you turf grass experts to call and give Dexter an idea of something that can just hold everything in place for the summertime. Because obviously fescue seed is just not going <laughs> to not going to handle things well. It is too hot. So, Dexter, thinking ahead, I'm going to have some folks call in, hopefully, fingers crossed, give you some idea just how to tide us over through the summer. And then we do know that sodding or seeding a new lawn for fescue, covering up those spots, is going to be best done in October. So go ahead and have your your calendar out and everything in your notes made then. Establishing a new lawn for fescue, best done in the fall, like in the October months. And then overseeding and really, you know, fortifying it and covering up spots that maybe didn't take in the fall and all of that. March is the next time frame. So yeah, y'all call for Dexter. Please let us know in the next few minutes. 404 404- 
872-0750. Any suggestions of what he can do now in preparation for fescue seeding in the fall? Thanks, Dexter. Hang tight. I will get you an answer for sure. The callers and the listeners to the show are the best. We're going to take a break, check traffic and weather. We'll be back to Green and Growing on WSB. All right, we're back to green and growing in a weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Scattered showers and storms today. We've been calling for it all week. According to Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz, 90% humidity. Highs in the upper 80s today and tomorrow, but there will be dry periods today. Less of a chance for those showers tomorrow. Partly cloudy skies Sunday into Monday. So I put a challenge out for you all for Dexter wanting something just to hold over some soil. Keep it in place until he seeds for fescue in the fall and one caller said millet i mean that's a grain it grows quickly in the summer but it could take maybe 60 days for it to germinate and i think brian and buckhead hey welcome to the show you may have a suggestion for dexter hello hey brian you're you're on the show and uh, my phone screener Corey tells me you may have a good suggestion uh yeah yes ma'am um actually i'm from cumming georgia but that's okay okay um yeah i've uh been in landscape and lawn service for almost 40 years now and based on the conditions that it sounded that Dexter was having in uh, a shade area if I heard it correctly um, he can he can go ahead and put down the uh, fescue seed um, in an application rate of um, six to eight pounds for establishing uh, but to give him some kind of idea of how to spread that would be like salt and pepper on your baked potato uh, to <laughs> Sprinkle that out on your uh, on the on the lawn areas, uh, and, and uh, then he can apply a starter fertilizer, uh, eighteen twenty four twelve, same type of uh, application again. Once again with the salt and pepper, uh, or a triple ten 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 or triple thirteen something to that effect, um, and then cover that area with wheat straw. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to do that because you get some of that germinating. But right. the point being is, is that uh, he can cover that. And then each day he can lightly water it, uh, sort of like you're trying to grow a garden. Same mm-hmm. thing with the grass seed. You want to uh, to wet that every day. And then in 10 days, two weeks, he'll see some germination. Uh, in about three weeks, he'll have some establishment. Uh, and then depending on Mother Nature and the heat and so forth, uh, most likely he will lose some of the uh, the new uh, growth yeah. uh, because it just can't tolerate that heat. But that will at least uh, keep the erosion from happening, and uh, you know then he can overseed in the fall. So, so there will be enough to hold the, the dirt in place. And like I'm hearing you say, Brian, watering is so key in the beginning just to help those seeds along, just to get them to germinate, right? Correct. I mean, you can just walk out there with your hose and wet, wet down the, the wheat straw. That helps retain the moisture keeps the uh, seeds from the direct sunlight if he has any whether it's in the morning or the afternoon mm-hmm. um, but yeah you've got to keep that that seed wet uh, you can just walk out there let your dog go you know the bathroom or something or talking on your phone and just wet down the uh, the wheat straw so that's that is very key and then that fertilizer actually does help it uh, you know establish a little bit better germinate a little bit quicker um, and so forth so uh-huh. that's uh, my best advice and what I've come across in, you know, in the years of my experience. Brian from Coming to the Rescue. See, I knew it. I knew somebody would come to our rescue. Thank you so much. So it is possible to put some seed for fescue down now. You're not going to have 100% germination by any means, but uh, follow those directions on the bag. 
six to eight pounds. You know, I mean, it just depends on the square footage we're talking about, Dexter, if you're still out there listening from Conyers. Brian from Cumming, thank you so much. Y'all are the best. Coming up in just a few minutes, Pike Nursery. They are the best, too. I trust them to give us the best advice and plant suggestions. This one's going to be a good one, a summer shade garden, so get a pen and paper handy. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. I've been doing this show for a year and a half almost, and it just never ceases to amaze me how quickly time flies on a Saturday morning. I mean, I could be in bed right now, and that would be such a waste of time. I would rather be here. We're making so much more progress together since 6 a.m. today here for another half hour with you. This is the time in the show when we always bring in a guest, a manager from Pike Nursery to share some knowledge with us. So today we're going to be talking about six popular summer shade plants. And I love that with Allison Smith, manager of the East Cobb location. Hey, welcome back, Allison. How you been? I'm great. How have you been, Ashley? Very good. Always good. You are always so cheerful every time we talk to you. I love it. (laughs) And you love being on the radio. You're good at it. And I know you love your job and the folks you get to work with at the East Cobb store. Oh, I do. We love it. And we love our clients, too. It's a great time of year. For sure. So this is a good one. When you have a shady yard or a garden, just figuring out what to plant can be hard uh, because you want all the bright, colorful, maybe, you know, summer annuals and stuff. and, And some need a little more sun than what we're able to give them. So six popular shade loving things that thrive in summer. They don't need full sun. So where do we even start? Well, I'll tell you, I couldn't be happier to be talking about this. I'm a shade gardener myself, and I remember the challenges of driving around and walking through neighborhoods and seeing all of the pretty bright flowers in the full sun and just being perplexed at what I could do in the shady areas of my yard, which is a lot, to make it equally as pretty. And um, man, I spent some years learning, and, and I'm delighted to share some great some great plants that we have for the shade. Um, the first for color uh, is going to be those begonias. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably is important to take a step back and just define what uh, delineates shade and, and full sun or full shade, right? So partial shade is if you get like about three to six hours, um, less than six hours of direct sunlight on your plants. Okay. And then full shade is actually if we're just talking about less than three hours of direct sun. Or if you get filtered sun, things like that. Uh, that's what we're talking about when we, when we discuss uh, a shaded area. Um, so now that that's out of the way, <laughs> those begonias. <laughs> Man, I love begonias. They are annuals. Uh, so they live for a season, and there's such a great variety of them. Um, there are two different leaf colors of our wax leaf begonias. You've got green leaf and bronze leaf, mm-hmm. and they'll take parts on the bronze leaf will actually even take full sun. And you've got uh, red, pink, and w- real crisp white blooms to choose from in, in, uh, in those. So you'll see them in a bunch of landscapes. I love them because deer don't, <laughs> so they're not going to chomp them up. Amen. Um, that's one plus. And they really are very heat tolerant. And one of the more water-wise so to speak, flowers that we've got in the garden, while they do need water, uh, it's not one of those annuals where you have to stay on top of it all the time. 
And so what I are, saw at uh, Atlanta Botanical Gardens, maybe a little less than a year ago, that dragon wing begonia, that is so beautiful. Oh, that's one of my favorite. And it's one of our most popular. The great thing about the dragon wing is it really rises up. I mean, it's appropriately named. It gets nice and tall. And man, those blooms are just stunning. Really bright green leaves. They do well in hanging baskets. Uh, if you've got a shady porch and you don't want to do ferns, uh, dragon wing begonia hanging baskets are great too. They're a really good thriller as well if you're doing containers because they really pop up and make a statement. I love them. That's true. Now, the next two we're going to talk about, not necessarily necessarily flowering, but enough interest in the leaves to, to really make a statement. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Caladiums and hostas. Um, a lot of people are really familiar with hostas, so I'm going to take a second and tell you a little bit about caladiums. Um, they are a tropical annual, um, so they, they really bring attention to the garden because they've got this eye-catching foliage with patterns and colors. You've got pinks and greens, reds and greens, whites and greens, and sometimes all uh, a mixture of three of those colors. Mm-hmm. And they're nice and tall. They, they kind of remind you of a tiny little elephant ear. You yeah. know those plants? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're great in containers. People use them along shady borders. And the, the variety can really add a nice pop. Um, to your garden. Some will even take some sun. Uh, They have a reputation of being full shade, but really you've got some varieties in there. The postman joiner, which is red and green, that'll take a little bit of sun. So if you've got an area that gets a little bit of sun in the morning and you're afraid to put them in there, don't be afraid. Get them all in there. All right. Caladiums are beautiful. Like you said, hostas, we don't really need to elaborate on those, but they're beautiful. They're perennial. They come back every year. Now, if we're going a little bit bigger, Allison, for maybe something that's under, you know, a big canopy of trees or something, Fatsia is so pretty and those leaves are so unique. Oh, I love it. I love Fatsia. It's got a very tropical look and a feel. So it's something unique in texture and appearance you can get in your garden. One of my favorite, there are three different varieties. There's the, the regular green Fatsia japonica, um, which people who are familiar would be most familiar with. My favorite is the spiderweb Fatsia because it's variegated. It's got white and green in the foliage. And when we're talking about those shady areas, Ashley, man, that kind of contrast really brings your eye into an area that the sun may not hit frequently. Um, They can get kind of big, so work with your Pike Nursery um, associate to talk about the kind of height and width you're looking at. Um, They do really, really well. They don't like a whole lot of water, so you do want to make sure you've got good drainage when you're placing them, especially in shady areas that don't evaporate that, uh, that moisture as quickly. So Fatsy is a shrub. That's something that you can, you know, plant the one time and then you're good to go. And something else, Allison, we can't not mention hydrangeas. We can't not mention it. <laughs> That's right. I mean, a duh. Hello, hydrangeas. Yep. Hydrangeas. Uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't know what a hydrangea looks like. They are stunning. Um, we always see the blues and the pinks and the purples in yards. Now they're exploding across Atlanta. Um, they're, they come in mop heads is the most common uh, kind that you'll see in the yards. Those are the real bulbous-looking blooms. Um, Annabelles, oak leaves, and lace caps. So there's a great variety of texture, even in the blooms, that you can find. Um, Of course, the colors are blue, pink, purple, white. I know there's white that you can get in your shade garden, the Blushing Bride. That's a big fan favorite. Uh, The blooms are really long-lasting, too. And if you're like my mother was growing up, they make great fresh cuttings to just put on that breakfast table. 
table or in your kitchen and brighten up a room. We love them. And there are varieties of hydrangeas like that that stay white. They're not meant to change color like the mop heads where you can kind of go from a blue to a pink to a purple like Blushing Bride stays white, right? That's right. I'm Mm -hmm. glad you brought that up because a lot of people um, see the white in the full sun. Those are a different um, uh, hydrangea. Those are our paniculatas. But yeah, the Blushing Bride stays white all year. It's not dictated at all by the pH of the soil, which is actually what controls the the pinks and the blues and the purples in the other mop heads. So yeah, those whites, that's why it's a big fan favorite. really brightens up a shady area too. So Pike Nursery are going to be a great place to go to see all the different varieties of hydrangeas too. And this might be a good time to mention just Allison for folks who really love hydrangeas. And I love that that's in our summer shade loving conversation here. The American Hydrangea Society, their 26th annual garden tour is today, rain or shine. I don't know if it's too late to get tickets, but check it out, AmericanHydrangeaSociety.org. That'll get you thinking. That'll get you some ideas. And then you go to Pike Nursery and be like, I took a picture of this one, this one, this one. I want these. And Pike That's is going right. to help you out and be like, this is going to be this color. This is the place for this. I love it. So I um, love it too. I wanted to let folks know they're able to save a little bit of money this weekend. Y'all have some sales. Uh, what can we just throw in the cart and go home and plant? Oh, boy. Well, including those begonias, our little four-pack annuals are on sale down to two forty-nine from three forty-nine. so you can save a dollar on each four-pack. And we also have a lot of shade-loving plants, uh, shrubs, our camellias, rhododendrons, and common azaleas are all 30% off, in addition to some other sun-loving things. But uh, come on down and get them. It's a great time to get these plants in the ground. The soil is still nice and ready, and gosh, that sunshine's out there. Yeah, 30% off on camellias, rhododendrons, and common azaleas, not the encore, but just the common azaleas on sale now. And not to mention, Allison, you know, the lifetime guarantee on trees and shrubs like that. You're going to plant that now. You're going to be really mindful of keeping it watered, maybe mulching it and things like that. But if, God forbid, six months from now, a year from now, it just struggled, it didn't make it. Maybe you say you have a brown thumb, uh, that lifetime guarantee on trees and shrubs, you know, save the receipt, all of that. But uh, go ahead and put these shrubs in. But Pike has your back. And I love that. That's right. We take care. We know Mother Nature can kind of kind of be uh, wily sometimes <laughs> and throw us curveballs. Um, we want to support every gardener and their yard. So we guarantee those trees and shrubs for life for sure. And we'll help you with all the successful tips and tools. We'll support you across the way to make sure those those trees and shrubs thrive. Yeah, there are tips, guys. When you go on pikenursery.com, there are tips. There's garden advice. There's even a calendar, and, and you can shop online as well. So, Allison, thank you so much. I always appreciate our conversations. Always a pleasure, Ashley. Have a great day. You too. Have fun with the customers today. Everyone's always in such a good mood, shopping on the weekends in the nursery. I love it. So I'll be sharing that later today on the Facebook page on Green and Growing WSB, some of these plants that Allison and I talked about and also what's on sale at Pike Nursery this weekend. All right. Up next, we want to talk to Sandy in Fayetteville. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. questions for some uh, fresh shade plants myself for some baskets on the fence. So Love it. You. Good, good. But well, how, how can I help? Is about the clover uh-huh. and our centipede especially. It looks as if we've had a hail storm and there's just hail all over the yards. And it's all over Fayette County, but it's particularly in centipede and uh, your, your tight uh, grasses like that. So, what on earth? We've cut it short. We've let it grow tall. 
and nothing has worked with that. It's about the second year we've had this invasion of clover in the lawn. And it's tough. It's tough to get ahead of it as well, um, just by the way it spreads and all of that. Now, a couple of things to do before you think about an herbicide. Um, Keeping a well-fed lawn, you know, making sure that centipede is, you're staying on top of fertilization, proper watering, but not too much to introduce disease and things like that. But feed the lawn regularly. I mean, that could be up to four times per year. And adjusting the mowing height, which this is interesting. We know clover is low-growing but it's actually beneficial to raise the mower height and that blade's going to be higher. And you think, well, that's dumb because it's not going to be low enough to to get the clover. But by raising the mower height a little bit, letting the grass grow just a little taller, it actually can block out some sunlight, choke out the clover, prevent some of it from growing. Of course, you can pull it by hand, but nobody wants to do that. (laughs) That would be... That would be a full-time job, I know, Sandy, for sure. So something like um, Scott's puts out a product. They've got like a spot weed control. Um, I think there's even a picture of clover on the bottle, perhaps. And Bonide, Bonide makes one, and it's got clover in the name. It's just ready to use, like chickweed clover, oxalis killer, um, that kind of thing. And a lot of these selective herbicides like that, advertise on the bottle which i love so it's kind of foolproof for us it says you know it kills what you don't want it kills these weeds not the lawn so it's designed to kill a variety of weeds many listed on the label it's safe for grasses um so just make sure you know read the label that you're applying at the right right rate and that you're doing it at the right time of day but bonide like their chickweed clover and oxalis killer or that product that I mentioned from Scott's, um, those are going to work as well. And one application sometimes isn't going to do it. You know, you're going to maybe need to plan for a second one, but I promise you can certainly get ahead of it, Sandy. And then follow, um, when you go to WalterReeves.com, I know for many, many years, all of you know that website, WalterReeves.com, and the search bar on that website, type in lawn care calendar. And when you find your type of lawn, like you've got centipede, Print that calendar out uh, for Centipede or whatever your lawn may be, because we really want to stay on top of making the turf strong. And little by little, when you're doing a pre-emergence herbicide at the right time to prevent weeds, you're toughening up the grass with the right fertilization and all of that, um, that just naturally is going to be a deterrent for a lot of weeds. So with a little bit of a mix of prevention and some of you know the products like what we're talking about here, you can certainly get ahead of it. Thank you so much for the call. We'll be back with the top three things you can do in the landscape this weekend and this coming week. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap things up on Green and Growing. Love being here with you on a Saturday morning. My thanks to DeMarco and Corey for doing such a fabulous job for me on the show today. Couldn't do it without their help. You all spoke to Corey when you called in. So uh, always a process and always fun. And then I'll be back with you, of course, Monday morning, triple team traffic, Monday through Friday, helping you get around town. Things can get a little weird sometimes. So that's why we're here for you during Atlanta's morning news. And of course, afternoon drive as well during Mark Aram's show. So today, the weather. You're seeing some sun right now. It's great. And we're going to have plenty of dry hours today, but you can't rule out scattered showers and storms. High of around 88 today. Tomorrow, much the same. Less chance for showers tomorrow, just dealing with partly cloudy skies on Sunday and on Monday. uh, The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Green. Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. 
All right, some very simple things, but you'll feel accomplished for sure. Uh, number one, collect the seeds from foxglove stalks. Now, if you didn't already have foxglove in your yard, you've seen it in other people's. It's a beautiful little flower, almost bell-shaped flower, long stalks. But scratch the soil around the plant or wherever you want the, the seeds. Scatter them, cover them with a, a light you know, a little dusting of, uh, of dirt. You don't need to bury them. Water occasionally. Seedlings will sprout this year for foxglove, but you won't really see blooms until next year. Or who knows? You might get lucky and see blooms this year. Uh, number two, check the lawn for circular dead brown spots. That could be brown patch. You're going to know it when you see it. Correct your fertilization and watering practices before you reach for a fungicide. Get ahead of it early by using something like Bonide Infuse, their systemic disease control. And we talked to Clint Waltz earlier in the show. Thank you so much to him from the University of Georgia, turfgrass expert, who said, you know, brown patch, that's actually coming on like in the fall, like maybe September, October. And now you're noticing it. So it's almost too little too late. So getting ahead of that, doing these fungicide applications at the right time, and of course, good management practices, making that turf as strong as possible uh, to, to combat diseases and pests and things like that. And number three, pick okra and squash regularly. This is interesting because if you just leave one fully ripe fruit on that plant, it may halt blooming for the entire plant. So don't let that okra and that squash chill out too long. Go ahead and pick them, bring them in. And okra, you know, if you leave that on the plant too long, it gets kind of chewy, kind of woody almost. Uh, so you want to pick that at the right time. And I know some of you are seeing your tomatoes, uh, maybe they're green, maybe they're starting to turn the orange-reddish color. It's not too bad to go ahead and pick them off the plant if you need to, just to reduce the chances of something getting to them before you do. And we learned earlier in the show, thanks to some of my colleagues who are doing this tomato plant challenge, who can keep it alive, who can get the most tomatoes, uh, we learned that actually... Ripening, ripening tomatoes on a windowsill, yes, that's what a lot of us have always done, but putting them in a brown paper bag and just kind of loosely crinkle that shut, that may ripen a tomato a little bit more quickly and, uh, you know, move it along. So that's that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, the Ball Ground Garden Club, their 70th anniversary celebration. That's where I'm headed right after the show here in three and a half minutes. I'm driving up 575 to Ball Ground. I'm so glad they invited me for their festival today. It's going to be 10 to 4 next to the Ball Ground City Hall. There's a lot to do in downtown Ball Ground. It's, it's adorable. It's so neat. So I can't wait to get up there. I'm going to be up there from about 10 to noon today. So I can't wait to uh, help them celebrate. Again, the Ball Ground Garden Club, if you want to find their Facebook page, the American Hydrangea Society, uh, AmericanHydrangeaSociety.org. They're having their garden tour today. I'm not sure if it's too late to get tickets or not, but lots of fun stuff going on. We're dodging showers. It's okay. You have an umbrella. You're not going to melt. So I really appreciate all your calls and messages on Facebook. We will certainly be back together again next Saturday. And I'll have Becky Griffin on from the University of Georgia. We'll be talking about pollinators and lightning bugs, fireflies. I can't wait to be back with you next Saturday. Have a great weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.